Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to hear some pages rattling. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verses 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our hearts, help us to understand your word, fill us with wisdom through your spirit, and thank you for the time that we have tonight to glorify you. In your precious name, amen. A drunk man was in the front of Walmart. He was cussing, and he was picking a fight with another gentleman. He was running at him as if he was going to fight the other gentleman. Well, the other guy, he keeps saying, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. And he tried to defuse the situation by telling him he did not want to fight him as this drunk guy egged him on. What the drunk guy did not know is that he was picking a fight with Tom DeBloss. He's a national champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's a veteran cage fighter for UFC. Here's a cage fighter telling this drunk gentleman, I don't want to fight you. And what could have been really bad for the drunk gentleman was actually a blessing from Tom DeBloss. Because he diffused the situation, he calmed the gentleman down, and eventually he even embraced him in a hug, and he offered the guy a ride home. Somebody tweeted a quote by Tom DeBloss after this situation. He said, Jiu-Jitsu is where the savage will learn control. The timid will learn to be strong. The outcasts become part of something great. The cocky become humbled. The commonality is we all become better. If the Apostle Paul had Twitter in his days, I think he would have tweeted something very similar. He would have said, the gospel is where the savage will learn control. The timid will learn to be strong. Sinners become part of something great. The cocky become humbled. We are united as members of the same body, becoming more like Christ. See, the Apostle Paul, his concern in this passage was church unity. To stop fighting, but to be united in a common purpose. We have to deal with one another. You're stuck with me, and I with you. But what Paul was concerned about is that we stick together and that we're united. Church unity. We're going to fight. We're going to have disagreements. But we need to stay united. Now, church unity is not some Oprah peace fest where we just sit around. We hope that everything is just going to get better. We have this wishful thinking and we just kind of get together, and we don't have conflict, we don't have disagreements, we just kind of get together, and we have a big peace fest. 
That's not what the church unity that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about uniformity. We're not supposed to look like North Korea, where we all wear the same stuff, where we cry when somebody, when we're forced to cry and somebody dies who is an evil dictator. When I go to the gym, I like to listen to heavy metal. I like to listen to techno music when I'm at work. Some of you guys, especially maybe over on the harder side, you like Justin Bieber. <laughs> and Britney Spears. And that's A-okay. That's cool, I'm still praying for you guys. But I like three services in the morning. I like two services in the morning. I like it 80 degrees. I like it 75 degrees. And we go and we bicker and we fight over stupid things. Those are preferences. God has made, designed each of us to be different. And a lot of often we fight over these things. But church unity, Paul says, when we're united, church unity, what I'm talking about is that we're united in one mind, and we're united in purpose. See, the Apostle Paul, he always starts off with the indicatives. Who God is and what he has done. And in Ephesians, we see that in the first three chapters. That God has called us before the creation was formed. That he predestined us according to his purpose. And there's nothing that we did. It was by grace through faith. That we're united and that we all were adopted in the same way, by grace, through faith, and that we have an understanding that we didn't deserve it. So we're united in this understanding of where we came from, who God is, and what he's done. But then we're united in purpose. I therefore. What's the therefore? Because what God's done for us, now we're united in a purpose. We take action, get up, and act, as Tim said. So we're united in our doctrine, and we're united in action. And we have a perfect example of what church unity is. We look at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three separate people, but with the same mind and the same purpose. We are to be united. Yeah, we listen to different music. We may wear different clothes, some people may have a different eschatological view than me. <laughs> Some of us have the wrong eschatological view. <laughs> but what we have is a bond that runs much deeper than silly issues like what you wear and what you listen to. Because we have a bond that says God has broken a dividing wall. And it doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're Mexican, American, Middle Eastern, dare I say Democratic and Republican. <laughs> because there's a bond between us that runs much deeper than that. And as Pastor Greg says, it runs deeper than blood. That's church unity. Is church unity important? That's a rhetorical question for some of you. The apostles thought it was. See, the Apostle Paul, when he addressed the church in Corinth, he didn't talk about the sexual issues that were occurring first. He wasn't talking about the lawsuits, any of that. He starts right out of the gates in the first chapter, and he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That was his main concern as church, unity. Later on he says, some of you are saying you follow me, others follow Apollos. But is Christ divided? No. It's church unity that Paul could write from prison in Philippians and say, I may be in prison, but complete my joy by being of the same mind. As he says in Philippians 2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full cord and of one mind. The New English translation, instead of one mind, it says having one purpose, church unity. So fight with all of your strength not to fight. Fight with all of your strength not to fight. So we're talking about unity being important. Church unity, being, having this bond and this unity being important. But why is it important? The Apostle Paul tells us in the previous chapter in Ephesians, he says, to me, though I'm the least of the saints, this grace was giving to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, hidden for ages in God, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's through us that this multifaceted wisdom of God is to be shown and reflected to every nook and cranny of creation. And that's why God has called different people with different tastes, different spiritual gifts, into the body. Because we're a multifaceted body. See, mixed martial artists, if they only know how to fight on the ground, and they get into the cage, and they're fighting, and they're fighting somebody who knows how to fight standing up, and fight on the ground, they're going to get killed because they're only one, they only have one skill set. If our church was made up of only one member, type of member, who had only one skill set, we would not be able to reflect that multifaceted wisdom of God. We're members with differences, and we celebrate those differences we have, and we fight with all of our strength not to fight. Each of us are members. We're gifted with a different skill set. How are we to radiate God's glory into every nook and cranny in creation if we're bickering and we're fighting? How do we, are we to radiate his glory? See, the Apostle Paul, when he was addressing the church in Corinth, before he got into the issue of fleeing sexual immorality and all these issues that are happening in Corinth, he first addresses lawsuits. Because non-believers see this. These uh, believers that are having lawsuits and these disputes among each other. And that breaks apart that church unity. That doesn't reflect the glory of God. So Paul addresses lawsuits first. Because that church unity. See, people look at that. They look inside. And when they see us bickering and fighting, they're thinking, my family's already the Griswolds. I don't need to fight and bicker. I already have the Griswolds. But when they see us encouraging one each other, they hear, see us maintaining that unity that we have, 
and they see us loving one another and building one another up, like the church in Acts. They look at that and they say, I want that. I want that. And that's what church unity, why it's so important, is because we are to reflect the glory of God in all of creation through unity. If it's important, though, how do, how do we build it? How do, how do we maintain this unity of spirit? Again, Paul tells us, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. C.S. Lewis said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Paul's talking about a humility in mind. Humility is the poison that kills pride. See, pride is one of the biggest issues with maintaining church unity. It was James who said, what causes quarrels and fights among you? It's that selfishness within us, waging war, because we want what we want, and we want our own kingdom. It's that pride, and humility crushes that. Paul shows humility in chapter 3. He's an example of humility. He says, to me, though I am the least of the saints. He didn't say least of the apostles. He said least of the saints. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? We're not Roman Catholic. Who are the saints? It's all of us. Paul's saying, I'm less than all of you. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote 80% of the New Testament. He said, I'm the least of the saints, but this grace was given to me. And then we have Christ as the ultimate example of humility. He gave up the glory in heaven to come down here, to wash his disciples' feet, to show them servant leadership. And he was humble. Last few weeks, I've been thinking about conversations, having conversations with other people. And I thought about one way to practice humility is to be a proactive listener. See, often when we communicate with other people, we're already thinking of a response in our head. Because our stories are more important than other people's. What I have to say is more important, and we don't really listen to the other person. Step back and be an active listener. Don't just hear what the other person says. Because what you're doing is you're encouraging them and you're lifting them above yourself and showing that what they have to say is important. Be a proactive listener. People have asked me, Paul, what, what would you say would be the thing that's helped you the most in communication, uh, into public speaking? And I told them, hands down, evaluating other speakers. Hands down, listening to other speakers. Because it forces me to get outside myself and listen to other people. And I have to be a proactive listener. Hands down, that's what's helped me. What would the church look like if each one of us listened to other people and put their concerns and their stories above our own? There's the kingdom of God. But then Paul talks about gentleness, with all gentleness. It's also translated meekness. Meekness is strength under control. I don't want to fight you. 
Tom DeBloss, cage fighter, I don't want to fight you. He was restraining his strength. He could have beat that drunk guy's head into the concrete. But he restrained that strength. Because what he was doing is, in meekness, he was looking out for the betterment of the other person. And he was restraining that strength. Meekness, does, it doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean we avoid conflict. I said, fight with all of your strength. But there's going to be conflict, and we don't avoid it. See, Tom DeBloss, when that drunk guy was running after him and cussing at him, he was taking his shoes the whole time. He was slipping into the side. Because if things went south, he's going to have to defend himself. Meekness doesn't mean that you become a doormat. In fact, Paul in Galatians 6, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of meekness. See, when there's conflict, when there's church discipline, that's when meekness becomes so important. Because somebody may be throwing out a lot of garbage that other people should not know about. And so leadership hears about this. They have this strength. They have this power where they can ruin someone's reputation. I saw church discipline for the first time, public church discipline, years ago. And the lead pastor, I've never heard it so blunt, he says, if you know what happened, shut your mouths. He was blunt. But he knew, like, if we're going to have this church unity, gossip is one of the worst things you can do. You know this stuff about this person, you can ruin their reputation. You can rub their nose in the dirt. Restrained strength. But then he talks about patience, with all patience. Patience is staying constant for a purpose. Marilyn, 65 years of patience. Let's get a hand of applause. 65 years. You see, many of us don't have an example to look for as what a marriage is supposed to be. And what they're doing is they're reflecting the glory of God. They're reflecting the faithfulness of God in people who are of one mind and of one purpose. And so young people can look up to that. And they can say, that is what I want. I want that. And that's an example. That's radiating the glory of God. What God intended for man and woman through marriage. But then he says forgiveness, bearing with one another. Forgiveness is so important in scriptures. It's so important that Jesus in Matthew 5, he said, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and that you remember that your brother has something against you, put down your sacrifice at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother or sister. It was so important that I would rather have you go, forgive one another, than to worship me at that time. <clears throat> Forgiveness. And I don't think it's any coincidence, the very next chapter, when Jesus is doing the Lord's Prayer, in it he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's a controversial passage. Because people think, is that some kind of conditional, some kind of condition for salvation? And it is controversial. But what he's saying is if you don't understand, if you're not forgiving one another, 
then you don't understand the gospel. That us who are undeserving of forgiveness have been forgiven. So you need to be willing to forgive one another. So we have patience. We stay constant. We forgive one another. So with all humility and gentleness, with patience and forgiveness, and all of that's undergirded by love, which comes from the Spirit. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that is how you have church unity. That is why this bond that it runs so deep allows us to be of one mind and of one purpose. To glorify God and reflect his glory in every nook and cranny in the world. But we have to often, we have to fight with all of our strength not to fight. Every day, we have to deal with one another. You're stuck with me, and I with you. We have our differences. We have our different upbringings, and we can celebrate those. But the unity that we have, the bond that we have, runs much deeper than that. God has chosen us, his people, with different skill sets into his body, and we submit to Christ as head over the church. He's brought us in with different skill sets to go out and reflect his glory. And how can we do that when we're fighting? So listen to one another. Encourage one another. Be a leader through servanthood with humility, gentleness, patience, staying the course, and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Fight with all of your strength not to fight. And don't pick fights with cage fighters in front of Walmart. 